Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during all those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, then command this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all of this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then just worship me, it will all be yours. But Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took Jesus to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, then throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And so when the devil had finished every test, he departed from Jesus until an opportune time. I once served a congregation who couldn't stop arguing about the postlude. Yeah, thank you, Claire. Somebody has to laugh at it. You know, the music that we play after the service has ended? I don't know how the argument started, right? Because by the time I arrived, it had been going on for years. There was one group who felt like the postlude was just traveling music. Music to listen to while you're saying hello to people and catching up with them and leaving the sanctuary. And there was another group who felt like the postlude was a sacred part of the service and that everyone should be required to sit silently during the postlude and to not move or speak until it's finished. Thank goodness I'm seeing you say no to that, Claire, up in the balcony. And these groups, they just kept going at it. They could not stop arguing and debating and everyone picked a side until what you did after the dismissal became some sort of like public statement for everyone to see. They even sucked previous pastors into the argument. At one point, one of their pastors wrote this long, multi-page detailed arguments about how to treat the postlude, complete with history and footnotes and references. And then he posted it on the church's website for everyone to see. I don't know if you have strong opinions about this topic. I do not. What I felt strongly and still feel was that it just wasn't worth fighting over. So much time and energy put into something that had nothing to do with Jesus. 
and did not further the mission of the church even the tiniest bit. So much time and energy wasted. And so when I began to serve there, I refused to argue about it anymore. I just said no, so that our church could say yes to something else. This morning we heard this story of Jesus being tempted and tested in the wilderness, and we we always hear this story on the first Sunday in Lent, Satan tempting Jesus to turn rocks into bread, to worship Satan, to jump off the top of the temple and see if God would catch him. And to be honest, these temptations have often confused me. I mean, what's so bad about turning rocks into bread? Jesus was hungry, and later he's going to multiply loaves and fishes to feed thousands of people. What's the big deal with jumping off the top of the temple and performing a miracle for all to see? Soon enough, Jesus is going to do all sorts of miracles, and they're all going to help people to believe in God, to see God's power and goodness. As temptations go, at least those two out of the three don't seem like a very big deal. I think when we, when we picture temptation, we think about things that are obviously bad, evil, wrong. And I don't mean like feeling tempted to eat more dessert or something like that, but, but real temptation. Because God knows we all experience real temptation in our lives, and it's encouraging to know that Jesus, even Jesus, was tempted. God knows what it's like to to face temptation and gives us strength and courage when we're facing it ourselves. I hope you know that this church is full of people who want to support you and be there for you, including two pastors who love you, who you can talk to any time about what you're facing. And I hope that if the temptation you're up against requires help, that you seek it out. But temptation doesn't always come in the form of things that are obviously evil and wrong. There's a a more insidious temptation that we all face, both as individuals and as a church. And that's the temptation to be self-absorbed, self-obsessed, to think about ourselves first and foremost, always looking inwards, to become consumed by our own desires and concerns, to never leave our comfort zones, to never be challenged, to never really do very much of consequence at all. We aren't just tempted to do things that are evil. We're also constantly tempted to do things that aren't just that important. To spend time and energy arguing about postludes. To be so absorbed with church work that we neglect the work of the church. Every moment we spend on those things is time we don't spend living out our mission. And evil wins in this world, not just by tempting us to do horrible things, 
but by keeping us from doing important things and by distracting us from doing the things that truly matter. You see, even good things can be a temptation if they pull us away from our mission and our purpose. And that's what's really going on in this story about Jesus being tempted. See, just before this passage, when Jesus was baptized, the voice of God spoke from the heavens and said, this is my son. So now the question is, what kind of son is Jesus going to be? Satan knows where this is headed. All of this is moving toward the cross, toward Jesus dying for humanity, rising again to defeat Satan, defeat death, defeat evil. Jesus has come to save humanity. That is his mission and his purpose. So Satan wants to see if he can knock Jesus off course. If he can distract Jesus, lure him away to something else. Satan wants to see if he can get Jesus to turn aside, to abandon his mission, to not go through with all of it. You're the son of God, he says. So why not use your power for yourself, for your own gain? Just, just turn some stones into bread. It's no big deal. You could be king if you want to be, king of everything. You could rule these people. Just show off your power. You can have wealth and comfort and everything you want. These temptations are about whether Jesus is going to live out his mission or settle for less. You know, it's hard to say no in life, isn't it? Especially when we're saying no to something good. Even as I approach what feels like the very ancient age of 40, <laughs> easy, easy. Even as I approach the spry young age of 40, I still have trouble saying no to things especially in my role as pastor. I want to do everything, be everything, experience everything. As a parent, I want the best for my kids, and it's hard to say no, especially in an area like this when we're surrounded by so many great opportunities and choices. It can feel wrong to say no. But this morning's reading encourages us to see things a little differently, to understand that every time we say no to something, we're also saying yes to something else. And that can be a really good thing. Because as followers of Jesus, we have a mission in this life too. We have a purpose, to love God and to love our neighbors by serving others and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But just like in this morning's reading, this world is full of temptations, even good ones, that distract us and pull us away from that mission and purpose. So if you're looking for some sort of spiritual practice during this season of Lent, maybe spend some time thinking about what you need to say 
no to so that you can more fully say yes to the things God is calling you to so that you can live out God's mission and purpose. And you know, this is one of the things I've really appreciated about Emmanuel during the pandemic. These past two years have been really hard for most churches. And I've read so many stories from pastors whose congregations have spent a lot of time and energy fighting about protocols and masks and precautions. And that has always come at a real cost. And it's not like we all feel the same here at Emmanuel. People have shared their opinions about how they think we should respond to COVID. And those opinions are across the board. But they've always been shared in ways that are respectful and keep a sense of perspective about what really matters. And that's allowed us to remain focused, not on ourselves, but on our mission. We've installed wheelchair lifts and packaged meals and celebrated new members and improved the way we care for our homebound and helped to settle a beautiful family of refugees from Afghanistan and adopted new ways of worshiping, new ways of proclaiming the gospel, new ways of serving our community. And that has happened because we said no to some of the arguments and distractions so that we could say yes to living out our mission and purpose together. I'm so thankful for that. Temptation's always about us. Temptation pulls us towards being selfish rather than towards the needs and the well-being of others. That's why Jesus didn't turn stones into bread for himself, but was more than willing to multiply food to feed others. It's why he didn't show God's power for his own benefit but he constantly performed miracles that brought healing and life and wholeness to others. Jesus refused to use his power for his own gain because the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. It's the way of self-sacrifice, of using, and even surrendering your power for the sake of loving others. Temptation is about putting ourselves first, sometimes about selfishness. Jesus is about putting others first and pulls us towards selflessness. And so Jesus said no. He said no to these temptations so that he could say yes to fulfilling his mission and purpose. This morning we see that that nothing will keep Jesus from saying yes to serving, loving, and saving us. He refused to be knocked off course. He refused to be distracted from his mission. He refused to settle for being anything less than the Savior we need. The path that led to Easter first had to go through Good Friday, and it began here in the wilderness where Jesus rejected temptation, where he said no, so that he could say yes, yes to the cross, yes to defeating evil and death, yes to sacrificing even his life 
so that we could know and experience God's love, God's grace, God's forgiveness for ourselves. Jesus is God's yes to us. May God give us the wisdom and the strength we need to say no so that we can say yes to our mission and our purpose and not be distracted by or settle for anything less. Amen.